Father, we're grateful for the things that you are teaching us here. Um, we're thankful, Lord, as we're beginning to realize painfully and slowly that there is no help in us. There's no hope in us. It's all in you. And, and, and so, Lord, we look to you and, and we ask that you teach us more how this works. It's so difficult to understand this. Father, uh, for the carnal heart, the carnal mind, uh, I, I pray that you'll teach us and we are grateful that you've promised you would. And so now, Father, as we enter into this section, uh, Lord, you know that um, how pitiful I am in explaining things, so I pray that you will help me because, Lord, I want you to be magnified and glorified and vindicated that your character of love and beauty will truly uh, be revealed. Thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, can you get past these out for me? Oh, thank you so much. By the way, in our last presentation, Why Jesus Waits, um, Herbert Douglas wrote a book by the title, and he explains this. If you've never read it, oh, it's a great read. You will love it. Uh, why Jesus Waits. Okay, but today uh, uh, we're looking at study number six, an overview of the judgment. <clears throat> I want to share with you uh, what motivated this study for me. I was talking to some colleagues one day, and we were talking about the judgment, and they were explaining to me their understanding of it. And this is basically how it went. That God makes all the decisions of who's saved, who's lost, he does, and then he calls everybody to look and see what he did. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, I've got some problems with that. That has some issues. Because the whole controversy begins with God being accused of being a tyrant, a manipulator, and a controller. For him, all of a sudden, to do all this, it sounds like he's leading the witness, and he's manipulating everybody. And they argued, and they said, no, no, no. And that was their understanding. But I kept saying, you know, I have a, pro I have a problem with that. <laughs> and so I decided I wanted to search the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and just flesh this thing out. And I wanted to see what came to the surface. I learned some amazing things, and I'm continuing to do so. So, I'm gonna, so now I'm going to share with you these findings. Because even though you and I, the human race and the fallen angels, are being judged, it still has a, reflect, still has a reflection on God. And so however it is that God deals with the sin issue is extremely important because if he doesn't deal with it right, then doubt remains in the universe and the potential for this coming back remains. So God has to deal with this sin issue, saving the sinner but destroying sin in a way that vindicates him as being righteous, loving, merciful, kind, and true, and, and at the same time inoculating the universe from this ever manifesting itself again. Does that make sense? Every question has to be answered or the universe is in jeopardy. Does this make sense? So let's take a look with that understanding. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And so in the judgment, we're going to look. It's going to have, we're, we're, we have found already has three phases. And phase one is the investigative, who is judged the Christians. Who are the participants? We're going to learn that it's God and the angels are the participants. And at the end, the result will be that God is vindicated before the angels. In phase two, the sentencing stage, who are judged? The wicked. 
Who are the main participants? It's God and the saved. The angels are not involved in this one. God is vindicated before who? The saved. Phase three is the executive. Who are judged? The wicked. Who are the main participants? This time it's God and the wicked. And then the result will be that God is vindicated even before the wicked. God wants to make sure that everyone in the end is satisfied. Great Controversy 421. In the New Covenant, the sins of the repentant are by faith placed upon Christ and transferred, in fact, to the heavenly sanctuary. And, at, I, by the way, I like that in fact thing. That's, in there, it's, that's, that's one of those in your face to those who say there really isn't anything up there. <laughs> she doesn't say in symbol. She says in fact to the heavenly sanctuary. And as the typical cleansing of the earthly sanctuary was accomplished by the removal of the sins by which it had been polluted, so the actual cleansing of the heavenly is to be uh, accomplished by the removal or blotting out of the sins which are there recorded. But before this can be accomplished, there must be an examination of the books of record to determine who, through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, are entitled to the benefits of his atonement. The cleansing of the sanctuary, therefore, involves a work of investigation, a work of judgment. This work must be performed prior to the coming of Christ to redeem his people, for when he comes, his reward is with him to give to every man according to his works. Let's take a look at phase one. As we do, we're going to look at each phase, and we're going we're to look at four things. When it takes place, who is judged, who participates, and the result. Phase one takes place after Christ's first coming as the Messiah. Dan, when is it, takes place when? Daniel 8.14 says, and, and he said unto me, For 2,300 2, days, then the sanctuary should be cleansed. Beginning, of course, October 22, 1844. Who is judge? 1 Peter 4.17. For the time has come for judgment to begin where? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So we're doing a, a little bit of a recap. Who participates? Daniel 7, 9, 10, 13, and 14. I watched till thrones were put in place. The Ancient of Days was seated. His garments were white as wool. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire, and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. I was watching the night season. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they were brought him uh, near before him. Now watch this. What is the only question asked in the judgment? There's only one question asked. The only question asked in the judgment will be, have they been obedient to my commandments? Galatians, that's uh, Gospel Workers 3.15. That's the only question asked. Do you begin to understand why, apart from the righteousness of Christ, it's game over for us? The only way for us to be saved is to accept the righteousness of Christ. Your and my righteousness will never do, ever. We can only come to God in the righteousness of His Son. Does that make sense? That's the only righteousness that He will accept. Does this make sense? Re note, remember, a, far a fallen mortal can only keep God's law through an abiding relationship with Jesus. How often? Daily. Great Controversy 480. The books of record in heaven in which the names and the deeds of men are registered are to determine the decisions of the judgment. It's whatever's written on those books determine the decision. Great Controversy 479. 
It is he the source of all being and the fountain of all law that is to preside in the judgment. And the holy angels as ministers and witnesses in number 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands, attend the great tribunal. So they are what? Witnesses. Angels are. Great Controversy 480. In the typical service, only those who have come before God with confession and repentance and whose sins through the blood of the sin offering were transferred to the sanctuary had a part in the service in the Day of Atonement. So in the great day of uh, final atonement, the investigative judgment, only the cases considered are those of the professed people of God. The judgment of the wicked is a distinct and what? Separate work, and it takes place at a later period. All right. So though angels participate in phase one of the judgment process, the final decision rests with Jesus. Christ's object lesson 74. Christ himself will decide who are worthy to dwell in the, uh, with the family of heaven. So Jesus is the one who uh, validates the decisions that, that the, the people have made. Are you with me? Um, okay. I was going to say something, but I forgot what it was. Oh, the reason being is because Jesus entered into our experience. He's qualified. Results. What is the result of phase one? Daniel 7, 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. How long? Forever. Even forever and ever. Can you say amen? Revelation 14, 12. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. By the way, that is really a powerful statement. You know why? Because Satan said that God's commandments couldn't be kept. And when Jesus came and kept them, you can hear Satan say, no fair, he's the son of God. That last generation vindicates God before the whole universe. That last generation is very important to God. They vindicate God before the universe. So when the declaration is made, here are they, he's pointing to exhibit A. Satan's last lie is defeated and God is vindicated. Make sense? Revelation 22, 11 and 12. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work shall be. This is a very interesting statement because what you're looking at are two extremes on a, how should I say, a scale. It's the two extremes, filthy and holy. The two extremes. So humanity is moving. They're polarizing to two extremes either revealing the character of Christ or the character of the Prince of Darkness. But we're seeing it within the church. We're seeing it in society. There is a polarization that is taking place. Note, in the investigative judgment, it is revealed through the books who has truly accepted Christ and is safe to save. The angels are satisfied and reach the same conclusion as God. It is now safe to proceed to the next phase. All the questions of the angels have been answered. Yeah, Lord, you're right. These are safe to save. Those are not. They reach the same conclusion as God. The Lord turns around and says, are you satisfied? Yeah, we have no questions. We're satisfied. Okay, it's now safe to proceed to the next level. Are you with me? Each, the, the, if, if any questions remain, the potential for sin to raise up is, is present. So everyone has to be satisfied. We're satisfied. Note, no judgment is needed to place the wicked in the sentencing stage. Save those false Christians in the investigative judgment. Christ's offer of life was the sinner's only hope, and in refusing it, they rejected life. And we talked about that. So now let's take a look at phase two of the, of the judgment. It takes place when? After the second coming. 
Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Ah, somebody else is judging now, not just Christ. Somebody has joined the judgment process. Do you know who that is? It's the saved. Great Controversy 660. During the thousand years between the first and second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. Who is judged? 1 Corinthians 6.2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 1 Corinthians 6.3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Isn't that amazing? Even the angels in their life record, we will be judging. Who participates? Revelation 24. Judgment was committed to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ. Now, watch this quote. It's an amazing quote because it, it explains the process of what we're going to be doing. After the saints are changed to immortality and are caught up together and receive their harps, crowns, and enter the holy city, Jesus and the saints set, set in judgment. The books are open. The book of life, the book of death, the book of life contains the good deeds of, of the saints. The book of death contains evil deeds of the wicked. These books were compared with the statute book, the Bible, according, uh, according to that they were judged. The saints, what? In unison with Jesus, passed their judgment upon the wicked dead. Behold ye, says the angel, the saints sit in judgment. In unison with Jesus and met out to each the wicked of the wicked according to the deeds done in the body. And it is set off against their names what they must receive at the execution of the judgment. This I saw was the work of the saints with Jesus in the holy city before it descends to the earth. So even though Jesus knew from, because he, you know, even though God knew who would be saved and who wouldn't, there is no declaration. He moves as fast as the slowest lamb until everyone is satisfied. We work together. Does that make sense? Note, someone might ask the question, what gives the saints the right to sit in unison with Jesus in the second phase of the judgment? In my understanding, the answer has to do with these facts. Because, like Jesus, the saints were tempted, like as those who were being judged, because the saints have experienced victory over the same sins that controlled those who are lost. Because the saints have, by faith, walked in Jesus' footsteps. And in spite of the painful struggle against self, they have through faith and the power of the grace of God in cooperation with the Holy Spirit's work, habitually remained in the process of developing Christ's character of love in their lives. And so, after being translated and given God's understanding about each individual case of the lost, they have an experiential right to participate in unison with Jesus in the judgment. Does that make sense? And the result, Judge, uh, Jude 14, 15. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Note, during the sentencing stage, the save will audit the activities of the investigative judgment and examine the books to understand the level of punishment required in each case of the wicked. The saved are satisfied and reach the same conclusion as God. It is now safe to proceed to the next phase. You with me? Now the third phase of the judgment. It takes place after the third coming. 
takes place when? Revelation 25 says, The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were what? Finished. Who is judged? Revelation 20, 11 through 13. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Who participates? Revelation 20, 11, and 12. And I saw a great white throne. I, and I saw the dead, small, great, stand before God. The books were opened. The results, Philippians 2, 10, and 12, 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in the very end, it's really, it's really weird when you think about it, but when the, when the New Jerusalem lands, it will be the first and the last time that all of humanity will be alive at the same time. And in that panoramic view, everybody will see the role that they played. Everyone will see their part, those who yielded to Christ and those who resisted Him. And when it's all done, both saved and lost will kneel and admit there was nothing more you could have done. You're right. Does that make sense? But now let's take a closer look at those final moments. Oh, wait, I, I missed that. Uh, the result, okay, Revelation 20:11, and there was found no place for them. That is a very sad statement. You know, the whole universe pulses in perfect harmony, in love, in peace, and in joy. And these guys warred against that. Where are you going to put them? Where would you put them? Where could you put them? There's no place you can put them. I mean, the only reason why we as a, as a, as, as a race have not destroyed ourselves is because God has held the four winds. God has restrained us to give us time so we can make an intelligent choice. But when, if you were to give them over to Satan, how long would they last? It would be, it would be awful. So what's left to do? What's the only loving thing to do? Revelation 20:11 or 29, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Revelation 20:15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into lake of fire. But now let's take a closer look at the closing moments prior to their destruction. This is an amazing and very insightful revelation. It is now evident to all that the wages of sin is not noble independence and eternal life but slavery, ruin, and death. The wicked what? See what they have forfeited by their life of rebellion. The far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory was despised when offered them. But now, but how desirable it now appears. All this, Ellen White could hear this in vision. All this cries the lost soul. I might have had, but I chose to put these things far from me. Oh, strange infatuation. I have exchanged peace, happiness, and honor for wretchedness, infamy, and despair. All see that their exclusion from heaven is what? Just. The wicked are convinced. 
By their lives they have declared. Notice it didn't say by their words. It didn't say by their profession. It said by their lives. Actions speak louder than words. By their lives they declared, we will not have this man to reign over us. How tragic. By the way, Ella White mentions that the walls of the New Jerusalem are transparent. They're transparent gold. So when the wicked are surrounding the city, can they see the activities inside? Can they see the joy and the peace and the happiness of the beings? Do they want that? Yeah. But they're not willing, and they never were, to do what it took to get it. Science of the Times, 1890. Sin is, is a mysterious, unexplainable thing. There was no reason for its existence. To seek to explain it is to seek to give a reason for it, and that would be to justify it. Sin appeared in a perfect universe, a thing that was shown to be inexcusable and exceeding sinful. The reason of its inception or development was never explained and never can be. Even at the last great day when the judgment shall sit and the books be opened, when every man shall be judged according to the deeds done in the body, when the sins of God's repentant, sanctified people shall be heaped upon the scapegoat, the originator of sin, all that day it will be, uh, on that day, at that day, it will be evident to all that there is not and never was any excuse for sin. At the final condemnation of Satan and his angels and of all men who have finally identified themselves with him as transgressors of God's law, every mouth will be stopped. When the hosts of rebellion, from the first great rebel to the last transgressor, are asked why they have broken God's law, they will be speechless. There will be no answer given, no reason to assign that will carry the least weight. Sin is illogical. It's suicide. There's no reason for it. In the face of happiness, eternal joy, peace, why choose suicide? <laughs> it's illogical. And so there, it cannot be explained. Oh, there was something I want to share with you here. Oh, it mentioned the transfer of sin. In the end, the final transfer goes to who? It goes on to Satan. Because, see, there, there, there is still a punishment for those deeds. And, and so what happens is, if you don't accept Jesus, then you're punished for it, your sins. But in the end, all of that of the righteous is cast on Satan. So not only does he get punished for his own sins, he gets punished for the sins he led you to commit. And me, because they're now all placed on him. He has a vested interest in you being lost. So Satan concentrates his efforts he is wroth with those who keep the commandments of God and has the testimony of Jesus. He wants them to, be, to pay for their own sin. He doesn't want to pay for it for them. Are you with me? Review and Herald, 1850. When the wicked saw what they had lost, and fire, uh, uh, then the wicked saw what they had lost, and fire was breathed from God upon them and consumed them. This was the execution of the judgment. The wicked then received according as the saints in unison with Jesus had meted out uh, to them during the thousand years. Now, you know, I want to say something right here. <clears throat> you know, have you ever had to put down a beloved pet? Have you? You ever had a pet you had to put down? Why did you put the pet down? Did you not love it anymore? 
Why'd you put it down? It's suffering. And so, how did you feel about its suffering? What's that? And so, what, what was the only loving thing to do? It's to stop it from hurting. And so, see, since God does not have love, but rather He is the personification of it, God cannot act contrary to His character. Every act of God is motivated by love. And so He has to put them down. There's nothing left to do. I want to make a confession to you here. I'm kind of a feisty person, if you haven't noticed that already. But, but um, I used to imagine myself, those days and those struggles that I had with sin, I would think about the day that the devils burned, and I kind of pictured myself on the wall of the New Jerusalem doing, you're getting yours, you know? I pictured that in my mind. There was a level of satisfaction in that, which is awful. I'm making a terrible confession here. Until uh, I read a story in the Bible that entirely changed my perspective. Um, you remember the story of King David. And one day, his son decides to take the throne and rebels against his father. And Marshall, he turns the hearts of the people against his dad. The majority of the nation comes out to fight his father. The father leaves in humiliation. He goes into Jerusalem and he sleeps with his father's concubines. How humiliating. I mean, bad enough they wanted to kill his father, but he was just, he was trying to find the worst way possible to humiliate his father. And as he's going out, brings out the army in pursuit of David and his men to kill him. Uh, David has to dispatch his soldiers to meet the oncoming threat. And he tells them, spare the boy. Spare the boy. And he waits for news of the battle. And when the news returns that his son is dead, David walks up to his chambers weeping, saying, My son, my son, oh, that I had died in your place. And as I saw that, I read that, it gave me a glimpse into the heart of God that if an earthly fallen father can feel that way towards his rebellious son, how will God feel on the day that he has to destroy his own children? Great Controversy, 673. The wicked receive their recompense in the earth. They shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4.1. Some are destroyed as in a moment, while others suffer many days. All are punished according to their deeds. The sins of the righteous having been transferred to Satan, he is made to suffer not only for his own rebellion, but for all the sins which he has caused God's people to commit. His punishment is to be far greater than, the, than of those whom he had deceived. After all have perished who fell by his deceptions, he is still to live and suffer on. In the cleansing flames, the wicked are at last destroyed, root and branch, Satan the root, his followers the branches. The full penalty of the law has been visited. The demands of justice have been met. And heaven and earth, beholding, declare the righteousness of Jehovah. Note, during the third and final phase, the wicked are shown why they are lost and soon punished. The wicked are convinced and reach the same conclusion as God. It is now safe to execute the sentence and bring an end to the rebellion. Great Controversy 542. Could those 
whose lives have been spent in rebellion against God be suddenly transported to heaven and witness the high and holy state of perfection that ever exists there? Every soul filled with love, every countenance beaming with joy and rapturing music and melodious strains rising in honor to God and the Lamb and ceaseless streams of light flowing upon the redeemed from the face of him who sitteth upon the throne? Could those whose hearts are filled with hatred of God, of truth and holiness mingle with the heavenly throng and join their songs of praise? Could they endure the glory of God and the Lamb? No, no. Years of probation were granted them that they might form characters for heaven. But they have never, look at the next word, trained the mind to love purity. They have never learned the language of heaven, and now it is too late. A life of rebellion against God has unfitted them for heaven. Its purity, holiness, and peace would be what? Torture to them. The glory of God would be a consuming fire. They would long to flee from that holy place. They would welcome destruction, that they might be hidden from the face of him who died to redeem them. The destiny of the wicked is fixed by their own choice. Their exclusion from heaven is voluntary with themselves and just and merciful on the part of God. Note, this quote is very revealing. Here we find the choice to be lost was not made by God, the angels or the saved, but by the lost. In the judgment, the saints and angels merely recognize their decision and God validates and confirms it. Make sense? Ezekiel 33:11 As I live saith the Lord God I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked Note the judgment is to ensure that everyone will be fully satisfied with the way that God has dealt with the rebellion Now all are satisfied and God is vindicated in the destruction of sin and sinners the great controversy is over. Great Controversy 670. God's wisdom, His justice, and His goodness stand fully vindicated. In our last quote, Desire of Ages 57-58. The worshippers of self belonged to Satan's kingdom. In their attitude towards Christ, all would show on which side they stood. Now look what Ellen White says here. And thus everyone passes judgment on himself. On the day of final judgment, every lost soul will understand the nature of his own rejection of truth. The cross will be presented and its real bearing will be seen by every mind that had been blinded by transgression. Before the vision of Calvary with its mysterious victims, sinners will stand condemned. Every lying excuse will be swept away. Human apostasy will appear in its heinous character. Men will see what their choice has been. Every question of truth and error in the long-standing controversy will then have been made plain. In the judgment of the universe, God will stand clear of blame for the existence or continuance of evil. It will be demonstrated that the divine decrees are not accessory to sin. There was no defect in God's government 
no cause for disaffection. When the thoughts of all hearts shall be revealed, both the loyal and the rebellious will unite in declaring, Just and true are thy ways, thou King of the saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For the judgments are made manifest. The beginning. And so to me, when I did this study, I marveled at the transparency of God. God, he hides nothing. He just presents all of the evidence and lets the creatures, the intelligent creatures he has created, to look at the evidence and to declare the obvious. But there is no, at no point an attempt to hide, to manipulate, or to control. He is just revealing the obvious. And the other thing that is so amazing is how respectful God is of our choices. He is very respectful. He could control us. He chooses not to. He is very respectful. Even though our choices are causing him pain and grief, he does not attempt to control us. But he's trying desperately to keep us from destroying ourselves. Any questions or thoughts? Let me ask this question. Any new insights, perhaps, is a better question. What do you leave here with after going through this? What new thoughts do you have? Hmm, praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. But focus on Him. Why? Because by beholding, we become changed. It's, it reminds me of sometimes in the middle of the night you wake up and you try to go back to sleep. So you lay there in bed and you think, okay, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. That's it. I'm going to relax. I'm going to sleep. And what happens? You, you're more awake because you are focusing on the wrong thing. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Any other new, any other new thoughts? Um, I guess those pretty well summed up everyone's thoughts, I guess. The Lord is good. Well, we ended up a little early, but why don't we close out with a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for this revelation, for, for, for visiting us here and communing with our hearts and minds. You know, Lord, that we came here with questions and struggles. And you have met us. You have answered many of them. And you have opened the door, Lord, to, to discoveries of other questions and answers that we are needing. Lord, thank you for being more loving and caring than we ever imagined you to be, but also in being more holy and righteous and just, Father. But now it is mingled with mercy. And we see that now. Father, I pray, help us and remind us not to make decisions based on our feelings, but upon your promises. And Lord, it takes a while for us to understand that. Help us, Lord, not to look to our failings, but to your strength. 
to lean on you, to run to you with everything, Lord, all our struggles, and, and, to, and to give them to you and give you permission to begin that work in our lives. And Father, as each continues their journey from this place to understand more deeply uh, this work of righteousness by faith, I pray you'll guide every, every, every mind and place in their hands the materials you have them to read and guard and protect them, Lord, from the evil one who comes to annoy and to distract and to deceive. Thank you. And Lord, we look forward to that day that you return because we want to meet you in peace and, and also to bring many with us that your heart will overjoy, Father, with happiness. Thank you. We praise you. And we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.